0: <laughs> it's
1: the flutter <laughs> <or> your lips <laughs> that's, <not. laughs>
0: that's it right it's the same thing so many so many so many damn books hello and welcome to so many damn books a blessing a curse a podcast My name is Christopher, and I'm joined in the Dam Library in person with the co-owner of the Dam Library, my spouse, publishing professional, Sarah. Hi.
1: Hi. I think we can workshop that tagline.
0: (laughs) No, we can't. (laughs) I love my tagline. You can't change it. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this to help wrap up the year of reading.
1: Thanks for having me. What a year, what a year.
0: What a year. What a year. 2022 has been all sorts of terrible things, mm. but luckily there has been some lovely reads along the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bleak to say that, like, ah, the only good thing was books this year.
0: There's a ton of bleak things that you can say about the year when you're trying to sum it up. You just look mm-hmm. look back at the wreckage. And just think, like we were ha- we were given this shiny new year at the beginning, January first, and look what we did with it.
1: Yeah, nothing good.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that's true. There's some good things, but before we go too far into left field, I wanted to tell everyone about the drink that I made for us. <music> And I am excited to have served you this drink, which I'm calling rye toast on Christmas morning. Mm
1: -hmm. Delicious.
0: (laughs) I don't know why, but (laughs) you calling it delicious in that tone just feels like just a little bit of a, but it's fine. Mm. I'm calling it that because I have this Christmas marmalade and a good way to get me to buy things during the holiday season is to call anything, just call it Christmas, Christmas whatever.
1: I also think you've upgraded it from jam to marmalade in the past couple of minutes. <laughs> it is. That's what <laughs> it's, it's marmalade. Okay, yeah, that's great. what it
0: says. So it's Christmas marmalade, which just means it's sort of a an orange marmalade with the usual suspects of warming spices and also cranberry. So that was the start, was I had this jam, and I love a jam cocktail. Mm. So that plus lemon juice, plus rye whiskey, plus a little bit of brandied cherry juice, mm. some um, Angostura bitters, some Peychaud's bitters, uh, shaken up. And it's a lovely drink. I love rye whiskey in winter. It's I, I find myself gravitating towards rye bottles as soon as December comes around.
1: Yeah, for me, like any... Uh-huh any sort of brown liquor is for the cold weather you know like a a, like a cucumbery gin is for summertime and something like darker and sweeter i always think about when it gets cold and dark
0: and so this is made for sipping around the christmas tree perhaps discussing the books that you read over the course of the year as one does as one does or as we do Mm. i think it's important this time of year to also talk about there's a strike going on. There's people fighting for their rights. Mm, yes. Uh, HarperCollins has been... Uh, their union has been on strike for over three weeks now.
1: I think it's over a month at this point, actually.
0: And it's sort of unconscionable to me because what they're asking for is is not that much. And they've already spent it on some questionable acquisitions. Yeah, yeah. HarperCollins. During Collins. the strike, which is so strange. Like, I just... I love so many of the imprints and so many of the people that I get to work with over there, but I, I'm not really reviewing books from that arm of the big five.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to note that they are the only of the big, pu- the big five publishers um, that are unionized. um, And I think a lot of other folks working in publishing would love to have the ability to join a union and um are very supportive of the strike happening at HarperCollins right now. And I think this is really relevant to readers. You know, like obviously it's sort of like a big deal in terms of solidarity and we think about it because we work with books, but um readers, you have a horse in this race as well because the things that they're asking for, the things that the HarperCollins union is asking for are um higher entry-level salaries, a commitment to greater diversity in staffing and better union protections at work. And if they won't give their staff those things, that means that really only one kind of person can afford to work in publishing. And that person is white, upper middle class, heterosis, you know, the, the, the whole usual deal. Mm-hmm. And if there's only one kind of person working in in books there's going to be fewer kinds of books that are published so a more diverse staff means that a wider array of interesting books are being championed and published and that is in everyone's best interest
0: i i confess to a naive optimism that when this started i thought like everything that they were asking for seemed so like a surprise that they didn't have some of these things in place and you know also just these stories that are coming out about the type how long it took for people to get to the type of compensation that they're after which is a pretty low bar as far as New York salaries are concerned
1: oh for sure for sure you know and as someone who's worked in book publishing for over a decade like almost everyone who I started out with left the industry because they weren't being paid enough you know, and that's a real shame because these are people who are good at their jobs, passionate about the work. And those are the people you want making your books, working on your books in all different capacities, editorial, sales, marketing, publicity, production, etc.
0: I think that the, um, the strike has actually revealed some uncomfortable truths about the publishing industry that I, I would love to see this strike, you know, cause systemic change that a lot of other publishers would take note and realize that it's time to start treating work, their workers equitably. And, you know, if you're going to be paying, buying million dollar books, you should be thinking about the people who are working on those books. Oh my God,
1: yeah. If you have the money for those kinds of advances, you definitely have the money to pay your workers a living wage to do this work and bring these books into the world.
0: So since they're striking, and this is the holiday season, they need your help more than ever. If you need, um, if you'd like to help the striking workers and add to the strike fund, uh, there'll be... All of the information will be on the episode page, so many damn uh, You can just click on this episode or you can just look in the show notes uh, on whatever podcast app you're listening on. All the information will be right there as well. Let's talk, what'd you buy?
1: Yeah. I do, I
0: do. This is the season to really celebrate rampant consumerism. Uh, and so one is coming out in February of next year. And one's coming out in June of next year. Oh, wow. And uh, the one that's coming out in February is called The Sun Walks Down by Fiona McFarlane. And it's set in Australia in 1883. Uh, a many voiced, many sided story about a, a kid that's lost in the Australian outback Ooh. after a d- dust storm. So you're following a six-year-old and you're following the sort of mobilized townspeople looking for him. And I just, I love that sort of ticking clock, I guess, for a plot. Like finding the lost six-year-old just seems like a great sort of tension, ratcheting plot device. So I'm very excited to read this. And then I another historical novel that I'm really, really excited to check out. It's called Deep as the Sky. Red as the Sea by Rita chang Epig. And this one comes out in June. And it's about a legendary Chinese pirate queen.
1: Ooh.
0: Like that's all I read of the synopsis. And I was like, sold. Sold, yeah. I'm very, very curious to re- read about a pirate queen.
1: That cover looks really cool too. Yeah,
0: beautiful cover, both of these. Yeah. Um, really, really excited about what this means for the 2023 reading landscape. Have you gotten anything good?
1: Yeah. Um, so this year I've like entered my nonfiction era, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some people are entering their villain eras, and I'm just reading nonfiction, um, <laughs> which is atypical for me. But I picked up this book called Credibility by Deborah Turkheimer. It actually published last year. Um, and the author is a legal expert. And basically it's just about why we tend not to believe credible accusations of sexual abuse, intimate partner violence, misconduct, et cetera, and why, you know, culturally people tend to trust and protect and defend abusers instead and what we can do to change that narrative.
0: That sounds fascinating.
1: Totally. And urgent and necessary. You know, it's maybe not a pirate queen, but it's (laughs) really important, interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, that sounds great.
1: So those are the books that we are looking forward to reading, but we've already got some good things to look back on that we've read this year. Yeah. Memorable books in our recent pasts.
0: This this year, I read all sorts of... I went on a weird children's survival book bender. Mm. I Also, this is the year I feel like I truly, deeply got into audiobooks because of the Libby app. Libby if you don't know is an app that's connected to your public library if they're signed up for it and it gives you the same access to ebooks and audiobooks that you would have from your regular library so and it just all delivers it to the app it's absolutely incredible unbelievable technology and it was truly the only thing holding me back from listening to a lot of books was you know just being on the credit system of a membership to a And I would just choose the one book I would listen to that month and that would be it. But now I can, it's truly like a kid in a candy store because I also Mm -hmm. feel like I, I find more moments through the, throughout the day to be listening for like 15 minutes Mm -hmm. that I would never usually being picking up a book. Right. Um,
1: Libraries are great.
0: Amazing. Absolutely wonderful.
1: I also think it's worth noting if you've been frustrated by that technology in the past, this is new. They've like changed it recently and it's all seamless and beautiful, easy to use, like do it.
0: So I listened to a lot of books this year. Um, but of course I read a lot as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to go over, I have a love hate relationship with top book lists,
1: best of the year, etc.
0: Yeah. Because first of all, a year is only so long books are forever (laughs) famously
1: 365 days
0: (laughs) give or take (laughs) and that and books are forever or for a real long time so that you know just the year that they came out celebrating the books that just came out that year you know, it's almost like you've been making a podcast since 2014, and no one has ever put it on a best of the year list because it th- it's not just of wow. that year. This seems personal. I don't, yeah, it's not actually. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm saying. Casual that... rant. <laughs> exactly. I do want to talk about some of the my favorite books that I read this year and also just say that I know that this is just Books that I read this year, that I got to this year, I've got a whole stack of books that came out in 2022 that I am still excited to read and will not self-immolate upon the striking of midnight of January 1st, 2023.
1: Yeah, and that's really common. You know, if I can speak from from my professional standpoint for a minute, like most people do that, right? Who really has time to read all of the books that were published this year during this year? Like, it's not possible, even for those of us who make a living that way, and like the data that we have shows that people like you know still refer to these best of lists or look at the most anticipated titles that came out this year well into the following year so keep reading
0: exactly that all being said this is a podcast distributed by the internet and thus lists are our friend. One of my first ones is Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott. Had her on the podcast. It's the Baba Yaga retelling. I was just so blown away by her ability to draw these two characters to make all of this magic feel like it was part of our universe and yet also had its own weight for the universe that she was creating. And it's a sibling story about them receiving a house on chicken legs. I mean, what a crazy thing to render into something that is absolutely believable and something you can get lost in.
1: What an inheritance.
0: Yeah. Even the, in the realm of fairy, you can't... Uh,
1: the rent is too damn high. Yeah,
0: to, ha- to have any actual, like, planted land. No, it's got to move around. Uh, do you want to highlight a favorite of yours?
1: Yeah, um, so I read The Rabbit Hutch by Tess Gunty and loved it. Um, like so many folks, it won the National Book Award for Fiction this year, which is um, a little surprising because it is a debut novel. Um,
0: and that's not always a guarantee that it's a book that no. everybody loves and, and when they read it.
1: And I don't think everybody loves this, but I found it really like stunning the title refers to basically a, a big apartment complex, an affordable apartment complex that some of the main characters live in, in basically a dying town in Indiana. And it mostly focuses on a strange young woman um, living her life and the bizarre things that happen in this world. It's poignant and funny. And yeah, it's it's really quite brutal and I couldn't stop reading it.
0: Brutality is a theme of this year. I feel like uh, I loved this book, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow mm. by Gabrielle Zevin. Oh my gosh, I love what is feeling like a pantheon of uh, partner artistic novels. You know, this feels like it goes up there with Cavalier and yep, Clay. Cavalier and Clay. And um, also The Animators by Kayla Ray Whitaker. Um, But this one focuses on the art of making video games. And I love video game novels. I think it's an incredibly difficult genre to get right. Um, I think Austin Osworth did it. And we are watching Eliza Bright. Mm. But I just, this rendering of game developers and trying to make art through your video game it's just a really, it was absolutely fantastic and was a book I listened to and I truly could not stop listening to it. I was really um, absolutely obsessed and try- and making up reasons to have a headphone in my ear.
1: And I picked it up on your recommendation. Um, not sure if I would like it because I'm so not a video game person. I just don't have that personal history with gaming. And it was still incredibly fascinating. The the concepts of the games are so just conceptually interesting. And, you know, it's, it's that, it's that thing of like, when you're writing a novel, what a cool idea to weave in like a piece of art that you can envision, but don't actually have to create or be an expert in that particular medium. Yeah, absolutely. What an awesome exercise. Oh my that gosh, is.
0: that is so much fun. Uh, and actually, I don't know if she made it or if she hadn't made, but Emily Blaster that emily dickinson Mm. poem game from the book is made on her website you can go and play emily blaster so cool yeah i love when that actually happens when someone is talking about the video game or the art and then someone goes out and tries to make it Mm. that that makes me smile okay would you like to highlight another read of yours another favorite
1: yeah, my only other like favorite read that was published in twenty twenty two, uh, was a very, very slim nonfiction book called Abolish the Family by Sophie Lewis, which is a manifesto, and even though it sounds really harsh, it's actually not just about, you know, not liking the people you're related to. Um, but it is it is a manifesto and is exactly as provocative as that might suggest. But it's much more about Uh, The ways that we have privatized care to the family and the ways in which that is not only not the only option, but probably not the best option for caring for ourselves and each other and children and aging populations, et cetera. It's it's sort of a Marxist reckoning, which might might turn some people off. but
0: Yeah, that reminds me of this um, TikTok trend that I was seeing this year of what's a what's a scam that's been going for so long that we've forgotten it's a scam? And one of the most compelling answers was someone just talking about like the single family home mm. that we all buy all these things that we only use in our own homes that yeah. we could be sharing as a community. You know, I feel like that's a thought that you have that leads you down into the hole that's called abolish the family. Yeah. Well, I have a couple more... <clears throat> I have a couple more titles I want to highlight from the year that I absolutely flipped for and have been pressing into people's hands. I have been calling it my favorite book of 2022 since I've been uh, talking about the episode that she was on. Ashley Hudson's One's Company is just... I just love the concept so much. When it was in the book catalog, I I just was one track mind I really wanted to read it um, and it's about a woman who when she wins the lottery decides to recreate the three's company apartment and then apartment building and then entire neighborhood with her lottery winnings and going over the sort of person that that would do that and why she is thinking the way that she does it's a truly bizarre book I don't think it's actually for everybody, but just the way that it comes together, it's so comedic, it's so heartfelt, it's heartbreaking, it's shocking. And it's just a voice that I am not going to soon forget. And I just, to find an outlet for an obsession with a television show like that and to make it so compelling and so readable, I think is an achievement in itself.
1: And if you can hear the theme song, like I can right now as you're talking, (laughs) just sort of like underneath your words, Um, it might be for you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Another favorite from the year and another former guest on the show, go back and listen to his episode, Sequoia Nagamatsu's How High We Go in the Dark. I have a very um, stark memory of just standing in the cold dog park um, watching our dog Ramona cavort around as I was tearing up over uh, one of the stories in this story collection that's comes together sort of a novel, novel and stories. I love those. And there's also an early on chance that he takes that I've talked about with him, which is just a, a part of the story that's narrated from a void. And it's, even though it gets so high concept, he really makes these characters seem very real. And I just think that that is really magical. And then finally, my favorite one, my rounding out my list of five books that I'm highlighting from 2022 is Julia Armfield's Our Wives at Sea, which spooked the hell out of me. It's about a woman whose wife has been off uh, her submarine, had a horrible accident, and she's come back different. And needs to be in salt water all the time and it's a horror book also about the unknowability of your partner mm-hmm. that love only gets you so far <laughs> i love when a book catches you off guard and this one was so compelling and yeah i am looking forward to reading more from julia armfield because this was a great extremely i mean more submarine novels i'd like to read more oh yeah more more novels set under what the a sea good
1: niche genre
0: So those are the books from 2022 that were favorites. But I also want to highlight some books that came out in the previous many years that Mm, books mm -hmm. were, you know, 2022 wasn't the first year of books. There's been books coming out. No, there's been books before then. Wow. And so I wanted to talk about a few things that, you know, I discovered in the landscape. I'd love to hear some of the things that you found out too.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of my other favorite books that I finally got to this year was uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, which, you know, I feel like has been recommended repeatedly. Uh, people have been basically pressing this book into my hands for a while now, and I finally got to it, and it is just as wonderful as everyone said it would be. The author is um, a biology professor. I believe she's a botanist. Not positive on that, but she's also a Potawatomi. And uh, it's just such an interesting weaving together of those two perspectives, like an indigenous perspective on the natural world also uh, melded with the science. Um, And in some ways, it's a really optimistic read, which I was not expecting. Humans can coexist alongside nature in ways that aren't harmful or damaging. It's much more optimistic than all that. And I really enjoyed it.
0: I've been meaning to get to that for so long. Mm -hmm. I do feel like it's going to be something I listen to because I, I do, I end up feeling like nonfiction works really well in an audio format. I read this book that actually came out in March, 2020. And I feel like all of our minds were elsewhere then. So I I think that books that came out then have a, have a tough go. Mm,
1: Yeah. Give them a second chance.
0: This one was called You Let Me In uh by Camilla Bruce and it's about a woman who seems to have murdered her husband but she's convinced that he was actually just a bundle of sticks and leaves made by a fairy and so it's going back and forth about her story of what happened to her and she's a very successful romance novelist and it's so strange you leave the book you're still not sure who you believe it's a great take on the true crime genre mashing it up so well with like fairy tales and and folk Mm. tales
1: and it's interesting because in true crime it's always the husband right and i guess sometimes the husband's just a bundle of twigs
0: yeah (laughs) i hate when that happens Uh. Do you have another previously published than 2022 you'd like to highlight? Oh,
1: yeah. This one is way before 2022. This year, I finally read Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Mm. Um, and, you know, this was a year where I was feeling like I wasn't connecting with a lot of the fiction that I was picking up. Uh, you know, mostly on my end, not not anything against any of the books that I picked up. But when that happens to me, when I'm in a rut, I usually pick up something classic and old and I had never read Wuthering Heights before so I started reading it and it was so engrossing in ways that I absolutely didn't expect um, and I think my experience with it is very different reading it as a person in my mid 30s than it would have been if I'd read it in high school because people always talk about it being so romantic about these children of nature on the moors and like yeah sure it's that but it's definitely capital r romantic and not lowercase r romantic like it's not a good relationship and it also doesn't endure for very long like the point where people are in love is like barely a couple of pages and oh my gosh (laughs) yeah it's like this you know story romance and it's you know it's It's just a little blip, and then it's mostly about how people are hurt and cruel to each other, even from beyond the grave. And it also contains one of my very favorite literary devices, and I don't know that we've talked about this before,
0: but... What's one of your favorite literary devices? The
1: frame narrative. Love a frame narrative. You know, so many of the greats have it. Frankenstein, The Scarlet Letter... Heart of Darkness, uh, Moby Dick, I guess, technically. Mm -hmm. Like, bring back the frame narrative. What a bizarre conceit that is to just be like, well, I'm not just telling you some dumb story. This must be true. I found it in some letters. (laughs) Or someone was telling me this story around a campfire. It's urgent, and it's true.
0: Robinson Crusoe has a good one, too. Yeah, it's always like, I found this.
1: Oh, my God, someone please bring back the frame narrative I'm I'm not joking I love it and Wuthering Heights has one it's basically told from from the perspective of uh, the housekeeper who knows the whole story just sort of relating it and like imagine telling a story that is so good and so compelling and like spans decades and you're doing such a good compelling job of telling the story that like people forget that you're even there Telling the story, right? It's just like a metaphor for writing a novel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. I did not know that. I haven't read Wuthering Heights. Weird.
1: It's weird.
0: I am shockingly underread on the classics, but that's fine. I like finding the modern classics. That's that's what I'm mostly looking for. Oh yeah, you gotta. I want to place those bets exactly. I want to see first. I want to see the house play out. Oh yeah. Another one that I. Wanted to highlight was Bambi The, the This was a new <laughs> translation uh, But It's by Felix Salton. Came out in 1922 This one um, was The new translation came out this year from the New York R- Review of Books but I just think that I don't know why I waited So long I love Reading the sort of source material Of the monomyths of the culture And this one Did not disappoint it's just you know I feel like I get surprised even though I love Peter Pan so much when I think like no adaptation has ever captured any, all of the wonderful things about that book. Mm. But for some reason I don't give that same amount of leash to any of the other classics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And so that when I discover one, it's like, oh, this is really great because it's a classic, of course. Yeah. And this one is really, I mean, it's it's just a story of the natural world. None of the things that are in the Disney movie are in the book. He clearly just read it and was like, you know what's great about this? dear, Baby deer. <laughs> uh, and he's not wrong. But it's a much more brutal book than that, uh, than the movie. Although the movie does have some brutality.
1: Mm. Oh, it's like the first time you read The Little Mermaid after seeing the Disney movie. And she turns into sea foam right spoiler i guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i it makes me really i'm i really would like to read pinocchio now oh because i did see the the by new carlo
1: collodi
0: mm-hmm, and the n- newest movie that guillermo del toro made with stop motion which is totally delightful and fantastic by the way made me even more curious because I feel like it captured some of the darkness that I imagine is in there, but it made Mm. me think like, I bet you there's even more darkness in this thing.
1: Books get to be so much weirder than movies.
0: That is true. Even, even in Guillermo del Toro's mind. Yeah. Do you have one last recommendation from your year of reading?
1: Oh, another book that I read that I loved and was published actually in 2021 Mm. was Detransition Baby by Tori Peters.
0: Yeah, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about that, like...
1: Just didn't get to it.
0: Books, yeah. It's still on our, my shelf, too. I'm definitely going to read it. It's just books jump the line. Things happen. Totally.
1: And, you know, I feel like it was on so many of these lists last year that, like, this. <laughs> let this just be another recommendation to pick it up because it's fascinating and it's about motherhood and queer and trans family making in all sorts of different ways and being an adult, and very selfishly, it exists in our specific neighborhood in Brooklyn quite a bit, which I always love. I love just sort of being able to take a walk in my head with all of these characters when they are in neighborhoods with which I'm familiar. Mm-hmm. So that was just sort of like a little extra cherry on top to this like strange and poignant and really funny novel that I had wanted to read last year and finally got to
0: yeah well I'm definitely going to I also love reading a book that's taking place in the neighborhood or a neighborhood I used to live even I'm thinking specifically of when I was reading um, Fortress of Solitude by Jonathan oh. Latham, which is all takes place on Dean Street in Brooklyn and I was living on Dean Street in Brooklyn mm-hmm. many many blocks away but it was a uh, it was still like a very exciting like I, I know this street I know exactly what he's talking yep. about It's very fun. Books. Books can be really fun to read. And I am so excited about next year and all that I am trying to have in store for the podcast. I've already got some really exciting interviews lined up for the new year. Mm. I'm also figuring out what to do for the cool people that support me on Patreon I have an enormous stack of books that they're going to be able to raid through.
1: Please take them.
0: Everyone on patreon.com slash smdb at the $10 level. I try to send things in the mail a couple times a year. I also have all these little extra episodes that I'm going to be releasing as little holiday presents as the year ends. I've got some fun stuff with Kate Beaton and others. If you find yourself... With dollars that you're using to support things like podcasts, you can also go and support the Harper HarperCollins Collins
1: Union Strike Fund.
0: And any strikes that are happening. It seems oh, yeah. like there's mm-hmm. a strike wave.
1: University professors, journalists.
0: So go and support your local you know, solidarity as much as possible. Workers
1: of the world, unite.
0: This has been a really lovely year, and I'm so glad for all the listeners that ever listen to this show. And I'm glad for you coming on, Sarah.
1: Mm, thanks for having me.
0: I love talking books with you.
1: Mm-hmm.